Welcome to HAF's podcast, That's So Hindu. I'm Tanyal Kushakjan. Today, I'm speaking with Michigan State Representative Padma Kupa, who serves the areas of Troy and Clawson. Uh, Representative Kupa is the first Indian immigrant elected to the Michigan legislature. She's also the first Hindu elected to the Michigan legislature and is a former member of the board of directors of the Hindu American Foundation. Uh, thank you, Padma, for being with us today. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much, Tanyal. It's an honor to be here and also to speak with you about what it's like having gone from being an advocate for the Hindu community to being an advocate specifically for Troy and Clawson. Thank you, Representative Koopa, for being with us today. Um, it's a pleasure to speak with you, uh, and I'm really excited for the topics we're going to discuss today. I'm excited to be here. Um, this is this is an honor to be here, and it's also an opportunity to share with uh, your listeners, the people who are listening, uh, what it's been like um, transitioning from being like an everyday citizen, activist, and leader to being an elected official. Well, that's actually what I want to start with. Um, before we get into your current role, um, as I mentioned in the introduction, um, your, your position in the Michigan legislature, how did you get to where you are today? What sort of led you to want to run for office? Because I imagine growing up as a little girl, you didn't think you would be a politician, did you? Or no. not, and I don't want to label you as a politician <laughs> either, but um, I, I'm sure that's not something you thought you would be be it right yeah no i never actually thought uh politics was important or actually didn't actively disliked politics i have to give you a little bit of background uh, my parents lived here when i was growing up and you know i loved math and i loved english i loved to uh write and i always thought that that was what i was going to be when i grew up um, but then fast forward my parents moved back to india when i was 15 and all i wanted was to come back home I did not feel like I fit in India. Um, imagine taking a 15 year old halfway across the world without any access to internet because there wasn't any internet at that time. Right. Um, and so I really looked for career opportunities and paths that would bring me back. And I loved math. And so it became obvious that becoming an engineer was the, the path that I uh, could follow. Um, I did well in the engineering entrance exams. I went to RAC Warangal, now known as NIT Warangal. And I came back to do a master's in engineering design and eventually got married and moved to Michigan with my husband and my two young children. You know, I came for the cars and I stayed for the lakes. But one thing that I, I'll say is that my parents went back to India to serve. They got their education here in the United States and their capacity to serve in this country was more, it was not as important to them to go back to the country that they're from. And so when we went back, I had that as a role model that part of our dharma is to, to serve, to, to do seva and to help others. And so whether I was a graduate student or whether I was a mom working in the auto industry, I volunteered. And it fits so well with the idea of democracy because volunteering is the ultimate exercise in democracy. It's how we create the kind of community we want. And that's what I did. I had my job. I had my family. 
Um, but I also had the work that I did in the community, both for the mainstream community. So I served on PTA and city boards and civic organizations, nonprofits, but I also served on the temple executive committees or, um, working with the linguistic organizations. Um, I even served for two years on the Great Lakes Aradhana Committee, which is dedicated to the promotion of cultural arts, classical music, Carnatic music, that kind of stuff. And so I had these different threads. And then when I decided to run, all of them came together and all the people who knew me from these different things that I was doing and serving um, in a volunteer capacity realized that I would also make a good representative. In fact, I'd been asked to run for about 10 years. People had been asking me to run for something. I was going to ask who was the, who was the person that, uh, that, that really whispered in your ear uh, that got you to, uh, to, to run for office because you're right. It is a form of service. It's another form, a higher form of service as, as what you're doing now. And I guess your, your, your many years um, over a decade of, of public service before as a, as a volunteer led, led to this. And for, for all you listeners out there, for there's anyone who's young, who wants to become an elected official, you, you should do some volunteering because that's what you're doing is you're volunteering your time uh, to help the public. And, and so I'm sure that prepared you very well for the position you're in now. Exactly. Exactly. This is, this is the thing that was so valuable because I actually, um, and I'm going to, uh, just kind of allude to some of the things that I did is I was able to bring in a lot of volunteers because when you want to win a campaign, you have to be a good community organizer. And I had a lot of people that knew me that came forward to knock doors with me. My first campaign, we knocked 37,000 doors. I knocked 7,000 of them. I quit my job and I raised money and I, I knocked doors, but I had 30,000 doors that were knocked by volunteers Wow! that they went door to door and said, we have a candidate. What are the concerns that you have? These are the things that she values. Would you vote for her? And so when, when you have that kind of community support and community backing, um, you get it because you built that kind of support through the years. And I think sure. that's really important. It's so who not pushed just, you to run? Who's the one? Oh, that, that, yeah. That was who, who are the main people that got you, um, that really got, got the bug in you or, or put you over the, uh, over the top and said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and do this. Yeah. So as I mentioned, we moved to India when I was 15 and I had to enter into a plus two program um, known as junior college or intermediate in Hyderabad. And it was entrance exams and it was money and people were very, you know, and I saw what my brother went through. My brother is much younger than I am. I saw how he got into school. And one of the things that really struck me is that something that's core value that we have as Americans is public education. Obviously it's not working for everybody. And that's one of the things that I've been working on in the last 20 plus years, but public education is really important to me. And so I've been an advocate. I've taken days off and gone to Lansing to advocate with my legislators um, mm -hmm. in the state house, because that is where public education, education funding, even for higher education, sure. a lot of decisions. An advocate. Exactly. And so I had been um, doing this work to advocate for K to 12 education and funding and, and, you know, all the different policy issues. And when I saw in 2017, 
I would come home and watch what was going on in Washington, D.C., because we all do that. Right. We want to know, you know, local politics is really important to me, but also just keeping an eye on what they're doing in D.C. And so you used to um, watch C-SPAN like me and all the other nerds. Actually, no, I get to I get to pay attention to what's going on in the legislature more in the state house, in the state Senate. Um, But but um, when I came home and I would watch the confirmation hearings of Betsy DeVos, it just really like tore me up. I did not understand how somebody who had never been in a public school, who had never gone to a public school, who had never sent a child to a public school could be put in charge of billions of dollars of our money, taxpayer money to run the education system across the country. You know, I'm not denying that there may be Republicans and Democrats who have different opinions, right, on how we should run K to 12 or higher education, but at least put someone in charge who has some academic or life experience in public education when so much of it goes there. And so it really disappointed me. And I said, you know what? All politics is local. That's what my dad said. I couldn't stop what was going on in DC with the confirmation hearings, but maybe I could influence what was going on in our state since DeVos is actually a Michigan export. (laughs) And so that was the, that was the moment that maybe I should consider running. Maybe I should listen to all those voices and I'd walk into an Arangetram or into the, some Indian event and people would say, Padma, you should run for mayor of Troy. And I was like, I don't want to run for anything. And um, here I am talking to different people. Um, Stephanie Chang, she's a state Senator now, but she and I had worked together on some uh, advocacy issues at the state level. Christine Gregg, she and I had worked on public education issues. And actually, I met her at an interfaith event. You know, a Catholic and a Hindu meet at a Jewish event. Can't get better than that. Yeah, right. Um, and she was my minority, she was our minority leader in my first term. But those are the the people that really encouraged me and mentored me. And I'll say now that. I'm glad I'm here. It's a difficult job. Um, I am the first Democrat to ever be in the seat. I am the first Indian immigrant in the legislature. I'm the only Indian American woman in the legislature. Um, And, you know, those are are tremendous, tremendous accomplishments. Um, And so now, uh, Representative Koopa, can you please uh, talk to us a little bit about um, what that's like? You know, all those things you just mentioned, being uh, a Hindu American female politician in the state of Michigan. Uh, what's that like? Uh, what was it like when you first got there? I'm sure a little overwhelming, but but now that you've been there for a couple of years, uh, can you tell our listeners what that experience is like and, 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 and some of the things that uh, that you face? It's constantly learning, constantly learning and navigating the quagmire that is our state legislature. We have what we call divided government. Our governor is a Democrat. Our Republican uh, led legislatures are uh, dominated by um, people from the rural areas. I'm from a suburban area and we've got quite a number of urban areas. So there's a lot of different dynamics going on in the legislature um, in terms of personalities, but it's nothing that I hadn't dealt with before. I mean, I've been involved in local government. I've been involved in national uh, issues 
um, both with HAF and through my work with the interfaith community and as a professional in the auto industry. So, you know, I worked on global projects for Chrysler and national projects for Ally Financial. So this wasn't anything new that there's a lot of different competing priorities. I think that is pluralism at its best. <laughs> you know, I've applied pluralism in the, in the faith arena. So now is an opportunity to apply pluralism in the political arena. And so that's really what it's been is just listening to other people's perspectives. Where are they coming from? Whether it's a Democrat or a Republican, each of them comes to serve. They come to serve their constituents. And so being able to hear what their concerns are, what are the things that um, impact them at their at their you know, what are the things that they care about? And then being able to to craft legislation that they can all embrace. And that was a challenge for me. I'm an engineer. I didn't, I'd never taken a class in law or public policy. So my training after I got elected was helpful, but a lot of it, you also learn on the job. And I think that my life kind of prepared me for this because, you know, you have to go back and talk to people in the local community. What do they think about a particular bill? Um, I'm so fortunate that I have at my fingertips the number of the city manager, the mayor, city council members, as well as other local electeds, the school board members, the superintendent, um, teachers, and a variety of people who will also reach out to me. Um, I have several beekeepers in my district, and I've been really lucky that I uh, found a colleague. Uh, her name is Samantha Steckloff. She served on city council in Farmington Hills here in Oakland County. And together on World Bee Day, we introduced a pollinator protection package. And, you know, finding people in the legislature who care about the kinds of things I care about. Um, Joe Bellino, he is the, the representative who's the chair of the Energy Committee and Andrea Schroeder, who are both Republicans. And I, along with my colleague, David Legrand, introduced um, infrastructure for electric vehicles. Because not only do I love cars, I love the idea of protecting the environment. And so um, best of both worlds. Right. And and creating more jobs, right? By by investing in EV infrastructure, you've stimulated the economy. You've helped, you know, uh, leverage the needs of the auto industry because both GM and Ford are putting a lot of money into um, electric vehicle technology. And so making sure that, you know, everything's working together again, pluralism in the political arena. That's such a, such a fabulous way to look at it. Um, and something that I'm sure your very unique, uh, uh, insights, uh, offer for your, for your colleagues, um, uh, which is one of my questions, what's your relationship like with other, other legislators? It sounds like it's, it's, it's really good. I mean, Michigan's a very diverse state. Um, but you know, you're, you're walking into, um, you know, what has always historically been, um, like a boys club, uh, what's always been, uh, you know, uh, government has been ruled typically, uh, by, by, by older white male, uh, legislators. So coming in, um, as, uh, as a, as someone who's an Indian American now, um, I'm sure, um, it's a little different. Um, but, but, but I'm, I'm sure it sounds like it's, it's, it's going well, um, and that you've been yeah, I, with I all think, colleagues. again, going back to my life experience, I was the first woman to do mechanical engineering in the history of the university that I went to. So I kind of expected that I would know how to handle myself as a woman in a, you know, male dominated field 
Um, but I'll also say that we've been very fortunate, both my leader in of the House Minority Caucus, 52 out of 110 of us are Democrats, was a woman in my first term. And now in my second term also, uh, we have a woman who we have elected to be the leader of the Democratic Caucus. But I've also found friends and I found friends on both sides of the aisle. Um, Julie Callie um, is a representative uh, from the Republican side of the aisle who's actually helped me figure out how to navigate um, and pass my first bill. So my first bill was actually to protect vulnerable adults from online sexual predators. And I, it was my predecessor's bill. He'd never been able to get it through. So I reintroduced it as in my first term and it got its first hearing, but then it stopped. Second term, I was advised by one of the co-sponsors was a Republican. He was on his way out in December and he said to me, Padma, why don't you introduce it as a two bill package and give one of them to a Republican? So I went to Julie Kelly and I said, hey, Julie, would you be willing to co-sponsor mm-hmm. this or introduce this legislation? She did. So finding people who have common ground has been one of my uh, strengths, I think is that ability to find common ground, something that I learned as I was leading interfaith here in Troy, but uh, having co-founded the Troy Interfaith Group, but also the stuff that I did while I was at the um, Indo-American Foundation, right? I really uh, have a passion for developing and building interfaith understanding um, and finding common ground. And so, you know, my seatmate this term is a teacher. She served for 14 years as a public school teacher um, dealing with literacy and poverty um, in her district, in her, you know, in her community. And so she and I sit together and, you know, my parents are educators. Both of them really value education and respect the, the benefits that education can bring to your life. And so they encourage, you know, other people. And so I found an ally in this public school teacher from a neighboring county. Um, Similarly, in front of me is a woman who serves part of Detroit and Gross Point, very diverse district. Her name is Tanisha Yancey, and she was actually appointed to our governor started a, a criminal justice reform task force. And she was named to that because she has personal experience and a lot of qualifications. She's an attorney. She worked for um, as a public defender and and a variety of other things. And so being able to speak with her and connect with her as a woman of color and the challenges we face. um, So, yeah, just finding those uh, people that you can count as friends. That's great. That's great. So now, as, uh, as, as we said, you know, you, you have faced some challenges. We've, we've talked in the past about some of the things that, that you faced, um, in addition to being, uh, Hindu American and, and female and Indian American, um, being the, the Hindu part, um, actually has come out and, uh, has been used as a negative, um, has been used against you. And it's, actually really disturbing to see, um, you and, um, a handful of other, uh, Hindu American legislators get attacked for your faith. And so I wanted you, uh, to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about that because, uh, I know it's, it's such a difficult thing, um, here in America. I mean, we were founded on the principle of religious freedom. Um, and I've never seen, elected officials or candidates attacked, um, for their faith in the way that I'm starting to see or have seen 
in the last few years. And so I wanted you to talk a little bit about that um, and what that's like and, and how you've, you've overcome that. So that's a very interesting question because since 2005, when I catapulted to the front page of the Detroit Free Press and the Detroit News as the Hindu woman who objected to what uh, a Christian organization was trying to do, which was to exclude people of diverse faiths from a city-sponsored event, um, I've always been the public Hindu, right? I was the one that represented at interfaith panels. I was the one that you came to the Parthia Temple of Metropolitan Detroit for a tour. I spoke English like an American without an accent. And so, of course, the temple uh, manager back in 1999 appointed me as, as a person to go talk to those Americans. Um, and so, um, you know, I had done a lot of, of work representing even at HAF, right? As we are the Hindu American Foundation, um, the only national organization that represents the Hindu American community and advocates on issues that are important. And so being involved at HAF, being involved in the Troy Interfaith Group and in many other Hindu um, places, I was the public Hindu. And so in 2017, one of the things that I did when I decided to run was I needed to pare down what I was doing because I knew that I couldn't focus on running for office, something that I'd never done before, um, you know, entering a completely new profession. Um, although it is always been, you know, volunteering has always been there and public service has always been strongly, you know, uh, part of who I am. Um, doing this as a full-time thing was not something I was, I didn't think I was prepared to do it without shedding some of the other responsibilities I had. And so I left every single interfaith organization that I was part of. I left the Hindu American Foundation board. Um, I even wasn't volunteering at the temple. And, you know, just going in as a person to, to worship, but not in any other way into any of these spaces, right? Into these Hindu spaces. And so I even stopped doing the blog I had on Pathios. Um, you remember I told you I wanted to be a writer. I even stopped writing. And so I said, this is what Arjuna said, focus on the eye of the bird. And so that's what I did. I focused on Troy and Clausen. I focused on my job as uh, a candidate and then as my, my job as an elected official. And so when someone has pointed out that, um, you know, I'm something connected to Indian politics, I can clearly say I've never been involved in any politics in India. Um, one of the reasons I left India was because I didn't understand how to make change happen. Right. I knew that I didn't understand the multi-party system. I didn't understand how the government is structured. I grew up here. And the reason I came back here is if I wanted to be involved in shaping government in some way, um, I never saw my parents vote when I was in India in 1981, when we moved back, I've never seen them go to the polls. Whereas the first time I was able to vote as a naturalized citizen here, I took my two little kids. They were in elementary school. I gave them stickers, even That's though they the didn't vote, should be. Yeah. you know, they went with me to the polling location. And, you know, I made sure that when my son uh, was going to turn old, was old enough to vote, we found out that he could vote in the presidential primary, even though he wasn't 
um, old enough at that point because the primary was you navigated all that. So I really encouraged my kids to be part of our democracy. And so part of it is representing this district. That is the job I have. And so I have Hindus. I have people of all different faith backgrounds in my community and I'm here to represent all of them. And so I've never really seen, even though people may say something, um, you know, that I am, that I am, um, have some bias or whatever. I really have never, um, shown that. And I think that that's something that in my reelection, it surfaced in a much more, um, palpable way with propaganda in the form of an advertisement in a, a local paper that was pretty harmful, but people looked at it and they were like, what, what is this? And there were a few people that took it seriously and thought that I'm, you know, somehow connected to Hindu fanaticism or Hindu terrorism. But I think most people knew the proof is in the actions of a person. Somebody can write some words that say something, but you look at what my life has been and what I've done as a person in the community and what I've done as a legislator. I think that that stands for itself. And that's one of the reasons that I've been with a, able to withstand some of the, the um, attacks, but it does take a toll on you. I mean, my father has expressed concern about my return to India to visit him. My parents yeah. still live in Hyderabad. Um, cousins have been concerned because you don't know. In fact, I spoke to a woman who was a lobbyist um, in Michigan on the issue of genocide prevention. They had tried to, they actually were successful at adding the Armenian, the story of the Armenian genocide into the genocide prevention education. And she expressed to me that when she was doing that, when she was lobbying on behalf of the groups, the stakeholders, um, she said that she was concerned about maybe she would find a bomb under her car from the people who didn't want to see mm-hmm. the Armenian, the story of the Armenian genocide um, lifted and, and you know, um, told. So I think it's been hard for me because I haven't been able to lift the stories of the people who are the most vulnerable because it's outside my swim lane and I've kept it that way. Like I, one of my colleagues sure. actually asked me to say something about what was going on in Kashmir, much like what Pramila Jaipal did. Another one wanted to introduce their legislation or resolution around the Citizenship Amendment Act. A constituent came to me and asked me to speak out and condemn the Modi government for what was going on because of the farmer protests. And I've kept it very clear. You know, I'm a state legislator and I can't comment or speak about issues that are not pertinent to my position. However, I will say that when people came to me recently with the need to be more outspoken about the COVID crisis in India and the loss of family members, I was able to relate to that. It's not a political issue. So I called our state senator, uh, U.S. Senator Gary Peters, staffer, and I said, hey, can you make sure that, you know, the senator is in charge of Homeland Security? And can he make sure that we work with with India so that they can have the materials they need for the COVID crisis, Um, releasing vaccine materials or other uh, things to help India during its, you know, its struggle with this pandemic surge. So 
those are things I'd like to see closer relationship between these two democracies. Uh, We are working towards a more perfect union and so is India. And so, you know, no, no human being is perfect. No country is perfect, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have good relations with the country where my parents live. Um, sure. And sure. But that's as your role as a, as a state legislature, you know, you represent your constituents and um, you deal with, with, with state issues and, and that's perfectly fair and legitimate and, and right because uh, we have a federal uh, legislature that, that, that deals with federal issues. And we, and we have our state legislators um, that deal with, with state and local issues. And, and so that's one of the things I wanted to talk so to I you about. I actually want to just say one more thing though. There are some things that even our federal legislature uh, and our federal officials, when something is in our country, do we want the mayor of Hyderabad to talk about what Governor Whitmer is doing? I don't think so. So I think that there are some things that are domestic in nature and that we need to protect ourselves by not interfering in things that are not you know, important to us in some other country. I think we should look at where does it become overreach? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So what I wanted to talk about next was um, some of the things that you actually have touched upon now, uh, which is what are some of the things that you've accomplished or are still fighting for uh, as an elected official um, that you would like to see. I know you talked about education. That was very important for you. That's how you cut your teeth and in, in service and being a citizen advocate um, and now become becoming an, uh, a legislator uh, on the other side of, of the lobbying and the advocacy. Um, so what are some of the things that you've accomplished as a legislator um, in the last you were elected in 2018? So you started 2019 now. Um, and what are, what are the things you've accomplished and what are you fighting for now um, as an elected official? Sure. So actually, I mentioned that um, I care a lot about the environment. So one of the big things that I've done is not only have I introduced this bipartisan uh, package, but I just introduced with with my colleague, Samantha Steckloff from Farmington Hills, a pollinator protection package. Very excited. What's that? Yeah. So hers uh, protects milkweed because it's it's what uh, monarch butterflies need. Okay. And, you know, my fourth grade, my daughter and son's fourth grade teacher had an event that she would do polyphemus moth day to talk about monarch butterflies and how important important they are. Um, I have our ecosystem. Yeah. And so are bees. Um, So we introduced a pollinator protection package. Mine is to ban a certain class of pesticide known as neonicotinoids or neonics. Um, the European Union, I believe, has banned it and several other countries as well. Our EPA has not banned neonics. However, I introduced a bill that would do two, that would do two things. Um, first, it would say a year from now that we would ban the use of neonics on public lands. But also that we would get a report from the Department of uh, Environmental, Great Lakes and, and Energy, the states, the, okay. states, the yeah. Michigan's department um, on the impact of neonics. So that way we can then decide what do we do next? Like, is it worth banning in other places? Because I don't want to affect the farmers without knowing, because if they are using this and it's a valuable and important pesticide for them, then how do we um, get a replacement for them? 
but on public land, we should be able to do it. And so that, that pollinator protection package, um, Samantha Steckloff and I introduced this month. And then the other thing is a lot of immigrants come to me from across the spectrum, not just Indian immigrants, but on issues of, you know, they're entrepreneurs. They would like to see more lift. Um, one particular uh, jeweler in my district um, expressed that he felt that he was facing racism. So I was like, you know what? He needs to feel welcome. So I reached out to our county commissioner. I said, hey, can you recognize Clawson jewelers? They're such an important part of our business community here in Clawson can we just give them a tribute or something? Yeah. Well, a resolution, yeah, a resolution, something. And similarly, um, people reach out to me on immigration issues. You know, they, they're in an employment authorization document is Mm -hmm. delayed or whatever. I can't help on federal level immigration, but I can refer them to the state Senator Gary Peters or Debbie Stabenow. Um, and also to my Congresswoman Haley Stevens. But the other big thing that I discovered, um, and it actually, um, affected me because I was working on a project at Ally Financial back in 2017. And one of the guys that worked on the project had to leave every day at 2.15. turns out his wife couldn't get her license because it, their license had expired. Their uh, visa had expired. And until her visa was renewed, she couldn't get her driver's license. She couldn't get her driver's license. And this has been a problem since 2008 in Michigan. And so people would carpool. They would. So she doesn't have. She has an expired visa. Couldn't get a driver's license. Right. Even though she had one, her driver's license also expired in that window. Yeah. And so I found a coalition of um, people and organizations working on driver license renewals. Now they're primarily working on driver license uh, being issued to undocumented immigrants. But they didn't realize the whole coalition did not realize that this also affects legal immigrants and documented immigrants. Yeah, right. Right. And so um, I reached out to the secretary of state first to see if there was an administrative fix. And they said no. So then we ended up working with the driving mission forward coalition. And I really have been trying to make business leaders understand that this affects their employees yeah. because we have a huge number. Michigan's workforce. Yeah. Right. And so we actually introduced in May um, a package of bills that would uh, both on the Senate side and the House side. And I reached across the aisle, the chair of the committee, because when you are in the majority, you not only control what happens and what gets uh, voted on on the floor, you also get uh, control what's voted on in committee and what bills come forward. And so I went to one of my colleagues who's a chair of particular committee. And I said, would you be willing to take this bill up for a hearing in your committee? Because you have rural areas, you have undocumented workers in your district. You understand this importance of this legislation, how it impact their lives. Now listen to me and see how it impacts people in Troy and Clawson across Oakland County and across the state who are also um, affected by the change in, in the state's laws in 2008. So he was willing. And so hopefully we'll get a hearing on that. Um, and it will change um, the issue for a lot of, of uh, Hindus here and not just Hindus, but immigrants here in the state. That's um, such then, an amazing bill. And, and I'm sure uh, it was kind of interesting to, to, to come into an issue um, that's already been talked about and has been formulated and you add another layer to it that they hadn't even thought about. It sounds like, um, and hopefully that maybe might even help get it over the top. Right. And then the last thing is literally this week, um, this week, this month is 
Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. And one of the things I think we always forget is when we say Asian, we think of the Far East. But Asia includes South Asia. And there are a lot of holidays celebrated in Asia that are important. And I recently heard from a friend that the AG, the Attorney General of Connecticut said one way, uh, who's Asian American, one way of addressing Asian hate is for us to celebrate our differences and to not only seek a seat at the table, but to be heard and seen. And so I said, what better way to do that than to introduce a package of bills to celebrate the Asian Pacific American holidays that are so unique to that, this, um, that part of the world that we as immigrants bring here. Um, obviously, Diwali. I work closely with Brahmachari Sharan at Georgetown because we had difficulty with their not understanding was the bill drafters, the lawyers that work on this were saying, well, can't you, isn't it a certain day? Can you specify a day? And I was like, well, you know, it's like Easter. It changes. Well, how does it change? It's not like Christmas, which is December 25th every time. If you're uh, not Orthodox Christian, because Eastern Orthodox, it's later in the year, right? January Um, January 6th, yes. Yeah, but but, um, or earlier in the year, it's later in the season. Um, But for for Hindus, Diwali is Hindus, Jains and Sikhs. Diwali is never the same day. So we got language that the Legislative Services Bureau that helped us draft the bill. We also did one for Lunar New Year and for Vaisakhi. Because that's another holiday that's important to Sikhs and Hindus. Um, but so we you also, introduced those. You introduced those bills, correct? Yeah, yeah. I had actually originally uh, also wanted to introduce Eid, but one of my colleagues is from Yemen, and he really wanted to introduce it. So he introduced a bill to recognize Eid al-Fitr and Eid al-Adha, and so we included that in our package. So you put it all together, all the all the holidays yeah. working together um, with the uh, the Dharmic uh, holidays and, and the Muslim holidays. You put it all together and, and the East and, Asian holiday, right? East Asian and, all the holidays. That's that's yeah. fantastic. That's great. And this was just introduced this week, I believe, right? Yep. Yep. That's great. That's great. And this has has any legislation like that been introduced in the past in Michigan? No, we've introduced resolutions since uh, Sam Singh was in the legislature. We've been able to work with somebody. In fact, um, I came to shadow. I came, went to Lansing in 2017, the day before Diwali on Narka Chaturdasi to uh, hear her introduce the Diwali resolution in 2017. Mm-hmm. The next day was Diwali. And so um, I always said it was so lucky for me because in 2018, my election was on Narakachaturdesi. So I woke up on the morning of Diwali knowing I was elected the state rep. That, that is that is something to celebrate. <laughs> that is something to celebrate. Um, well, we're really excited for this legislation in Michigan. Um, the Hindu American Foundation will be launching action alerts uh, on uh, on this legislation. So if you're a, a listener in Michigan, um, you can listen. Uh, you can you can go to the Hindu American Foundation website and our action center or advocacy center, I should say, um, and you'll find an action alert to support this bill. Where you can contact your legislator to uh, take action and support um, these bills. Uh, and so we're going to be setting that up and working with you, uh, Representative Koopa, to, to, to pass these bills, hopefully, if not this session, the next time around. Um, but uh, and these bills, uh, it, it, they, they make um, Diwali and Vaisakhi a, uh, a public holiday or school holidays. I think it's a public holiday, right? It's, it's not actually a holiday. So it's just a recognition of the day. So it's a statewide holiday. 
which doesn't necessarily um, make it a day off. So I want to kind of distinguish. So we did a day like this for Fred Korematsu, who's a huge um, impact to Asian Americans and to, to civil rights. I don't know if you've heard the name Fred Korematsu Day. Mm-hmm. Um, we introduced uh, a day to honor him. Um, nobody gets a day off, um, but it acknowledges the importance of that day. Okay. Um, the day that Fred Korematsu was born. So similarly, we acknowledge the importance. And, and I think it really helps to introduce these things into the Michigan lexicon, legal lexicon, because then when somebody wants to take a day off for Diwali, they may have um, no official holiday, but it also helps. And I remember an incident when my kids were in school that the parent-teacher conferences in the high school were set for Diwali and the day after. And there's a significant population of people who are of Gujarati background in the school as well. So that was their new year. The Gujarati new year falls the day after the Diwali day of Diwali. Yeah. And so I was like, can you please change this? And they were like, oh my goodness, we have to renegotiate because the teachers have to stay after. And so I was like, well, you need to look at the calendar so that you make sure that all the parents can families can come because it's an important day for a large yeah. part of the You can't population. have a parent teacher without the parents. <laughs> <laughs> And so, um, so I think it's important. I don't necessarily think that every region has a lot of Hindus that they need to have a public holiday for it, but I think just acknowledging it and honoring it and then allowing local control. Cause I really, I'm a big proponent of local control. So, you know, Troy school district, which has a number of Indian Americans who are Hindu in their community might consider doing something, maybe not having evening events that day, um, or whatever it is they decide to do. But, you know, uh, we're, we're um, in the thumb area where there's, you know, not a large population of Hindus. They may not do anything. That's and when great. I say thumb, this is Michigan, right? This is the, the Upper Peninsula. And then for, for, for our listeners, uh, Representative Cooper is holding up her hand. So when you hold up the palm of your hand where your thumb is, that's where that's what she's referring to for for all for all you Michigan Michiganders out there know what I'm talking about. Yes. <laughs> well, well, th- that's really fantastic. And I think th- that type of legislation, um, especially in states with um, emerging and up and coming Hindu American populations, um, it sets a precedent. And it, it, it really, uh, like you said, it acknowledges and recognizes that this community exists. Um, and eventually, you know, when those numbers grow and there is uh, perhaps a need for there to be um, a, a school holiday uh, or a public holiday, um, you know, you, you, you at least have set that precedent with that acknowledgement, because like you said, not every school district or, or city has, um, uh, has a very large population, but for those that do, um, and we know that, uh, those types of communities typically tend to congregate in certain towns and certain parts of cities. Um, uh, me being Armenian American, I know, <laughs> I know what that's right. like. I know where, yeah. where the communities go. Um, but it's, it's good to have that, um, local control, as you said, and to have that opening, um, the, the access and the ability to set legislation that recognizes um, American, the diversity of, of, of American constituents um, and is, uh, is mindful and respectful of that. And I'll say it adds one more layer, and that is we are interconnected because of our jobs these days. So many people are working from home. So many people have colleagues across the planet, um, and particularly in the auto industry and the IT sector. You're always working with people from India. And, you know, there there was a time when I was at Ally Financial and the team in India was 
pretty much off for the week of Dasara. And my colleagues didn't understand why they couldn't get on any, like all the conference calls, the India team was not on it. And I was like, well, they took time off. This is the time of their high holy days. And we acknowledge here the Jewish high holy days. And we expect in areas where there's large Jewish populations that there's going to be, you know, time off that they will be taking. Similarly, in India, some of the schools are closed the week of Dasara. And so Eid also falls around that time. And so there's usually a Muslim holiday and, and a Hindu holiday that coincide in that season. And so a lot of people do take the time off. And so when we're working with people across the world, having these holidays brought to awareness, you know, brought into people's awareness is important because then it you know, makes us better coworkers. Like when you acknowledge where your coworker may be taking a day off and, and are a little bit more sensitive to that, whether they live next door or whether they live around the world, yeah. I think it makes for better, you know, interactions between colleagues. Absolutely. The world's getting a little bit smaller um, because of COVID and technology, um, but it's also making uh, people more aware of how big the world really is and how different cultures, religions, languages, um, uh, people there are out there and, and how beautiful that is. We need to embrace that diversity and, um, and the beauty, um, behind all of our different religions, uh, our different names, our, our different cultures and, and our different holidays and, and, and why that is. And that's, uh, that's tremendous that you've been able to, to introduce this resolution. We're going to work with you, um, and your colleagues to pass, um, this resolution, uh, these resolutions. These uh, are not resolutions. Michigan. These are actually policies. These are, these are policy is, bills. These are bills. These are bills. Okay. I just want to make that clear for everyone. When I say resolutions here in Michigan, we're talking about actual bills, um, uh, legislation that will become law. So, um, with that, uh, I, I just want to say thank you for, for speaking with us on our podcast. It's been a pleasure going through your background and, and, and all the accomplishments, uh, the legislation you've worked on and, and what you're working on today. So thank you for everything you're doing, uh, for not just the, the Hindu American community, but for all of your constituents. Uh, thank you, uh, representative Cooper. Uh, and we look forward to working with you uh, and your colleagues uh, in the years ahead. Thank you so much, Danielle. It's been an honor to be here. Namaste. Well, that's it for this episode of That's So Hindu. If you enjoyed it, please take a minute and leave us a nice five-star review. It's how you can help the show get discovered by more listeners. You can help ensure that more of these get made by making a donation to HAF at www.hindoamerican.org donate. And before you go, a quick message. The Hindu American Foundation proudly supports We Can Do This, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services nationwide COVID-19 and vaccine education campaign. Our community has been hit hard by COVID-19, and many of us need help in getting educated about how we can get vaccinated. Our organization is working hard to ensure our community has access to important information in our fight against COVID. Learn about COVID-19 vaccinations and get help scheduling your vaccination at vaccines.gov. We can do this.